Good evening and good afternoon or good morning to you, whichever is right for you, wherever and whenever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. Whether you're listening to us from a state other than Virginia or a country other than the United States of America, I want to welcome each and every one of you. You're listening to us on WGPL, WPCE, and WBXB AM here in Southern Virginia and Northeastern North Carolina. And we're also heard on the internet at www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. If you would like this or any other broadcast, if you want to hear those again, you can find my podcast by searching The C.D. Hodges on iTunes or any podcast player on your smart device. Search The C.D. Hodges. You'll come up with Marriage and Family Clinic. Marriage and Family Clinic is here to help you break down and gain enlightenment into your relationship dynamics. Really hope to help you identify what makes you tick and ultimately help you repair, grow, and perfect your marriage and family relationships. Today I want to deal with the subject of sex in marriage. And I've dealt with the issue of sexuality in both men and women, but I want to deal specifically with the subject of sex in marriage beginning today. And as always, it may turn into a short series in and of itself. It's so difficult to cover a subject in just one outing, so we'll, we'll definitely come back to it. But I want to wet your whistle uh, for the subject tonight. And I'm labeling this sex in marriage because I want to make it abundantly clear. I want it to be plain right up front. Marriage is the only godly place for sex to occur. Within the bonds of holy matrimony in marriage, that's the only godly place for sex to occur. The public image of sex in America bears virtually no relationship to the truth. In real life, the unheralded, seldom-discussed world of marriage sex is actually the one that satisfies people the most. Now, that was a quote from a book called Sex in America, The Definitive Survey. And I wholeheartedly agree with that quote from the book. Because what passes for sexual knowledge and sexual truth in America today, it's a whole lot of things, but it is not truth. And regardless of the pictures painted by Hollywood, what they say in this book is right. The greatest sexual satisfaction is in marriage. Did you ever notice that all of those people going from bed to bed, house to house, marriage to marriage, person to person, uh, enjoying the benefits of sex without the commitment of, of a covenant relationship? Did you ever notice all those people on TV and the movies, they were pretty miserable in their lives? That's because the greatest sexual satisfaction is in marriage. And so I'm stating this up front. Marriage is where sex is supposed to happen. And marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, a few months ago, I defined sexuality as the combination of attributes. Those attributes being physical, your appearance, your personality, your disposition, your attitude, your mental capacity. And so all of those attributes come together and that makes a woman or a man uniquely attractive. The combination of all those attributes work together to present a specific individual attractiveness. And, and, and that individual attractiveness is the reason that every woman is not equally attractive to every man and every man is not equally attractive to every woman. There are various likes and dislikes, various desires and non-desires because of the combination of attributes that come together to make up a person's sexuality. 
And so when Psalms 139 and 14 says from the New Living Translation, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Guess what that included? That includes sexuality. Now that was the New Living Translation, but you may recognize it better uh, from the King James Version. The King James Version says it's like this. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen, in your makeup, God blessed you with a physical appearance your personality, your disposition, your attitude, your mental capacities. All of that is a part of your makeup. Your makeup overall comes from God, and he's done a marvelous job. And so understand this. Your design is not by accident. Your design is not by accident. And attraction between the sexes is not by accident. It is by divine design that men and women are sexual beings. All right, we're just setting this up to discuss sex and marriage now. It is by divine design that men and women are sexual beings. And, and again, I want to make something abundantly clear. A woman and a man, they are not sexual beings because they have sex. A woman or a man has sex, hopefully at the right time, which is in marriage, the right time and right place in marriage. Men and women have sex because sex is an integral part of being a sexual being. You, you don't, you, you have sex because of the way that you're made. You're not made for sex, but sex is given to us to get the most out of how we're made. I want to make that clear in just a moment also. I'm pointing this out because in our society, sex seems to be the end of all and not a means to an end. Everything about us points towards sex. All of our relationship points towards sex. Again, you see in the movies and television shows, people meet one another and an hour later they're in the bed having sex. And then they wake up the next morning or, or even later on that night believing that they love one another or they have this significant bond or something like that. They have made sex an end of all. Sex is not the end of all. Sex is a means to an end. And this explains why sex is used to sell everything from hamburgers to cars to trucks to clothes and anything in between. Folks, sex is not the end of all. Sex is a gift from God given to us to achieve a purpose. Sex is a means of achieving a purpose. And I don't think anyone would disagree with me when I say that sex is a powerful force. It's a powerful force. Because of sex, people are known to forsake their promises, they abandon their morals, they violate laws, uh, uh, we walk out on marriages, uh, we climb in the bed with people that we don't know. And when I say we, I'm just speaking of humanity in general. We climb in the bed with people that we don't know. We violate laws. There's human trafficking. There's prostitution. Uh, engage in illegal activities. Engage in totally irrational behavior in the pursuit of sex. 
And I tell you, it's totally irrational. All of that wild rip the clothes off, climb on one another, can't even get in the door of the house stuff to have sex. That stuff that you see on television and in the movies, it's not real. If that's the way you behave, you need to check yourself out. It's not real. But the picture is painted to make sex appear to be the end of all, and it's not. It's a means to an end. It's a means to achieve a purpose. But sex is a powerful force nonetheless. Sex is a powerful force nonetheless. And I believe personally that, that sex has this mysterious power about it because it's spiritual in nature. Sex is not a product of the earth. It's not a product of any human invention or effort. Man did not come up with sex. And I think about this every time I think about the origins of humanity. Uh, uh, I'm going to challenge you here, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and risk offending some folks, but I want to tell you that you're really selling yourself, you're selling humanity, you're really selling God short if you believe in evolution. If you believe that man came from a one-celled being, so forth and so on, if you believe that, you're selling yourself short. You're selling creation short. This is all by divine design, including sex. It's by divine design. Man didn't come up with it. And sex, just like sexuality, again, it's a gift from God. And that qualifies my notion that sex is spiritual. And listen to this closely. Because sex is spiritual, the purpose of sex is spiritual. And because sex is spiritual, and because the purpose of sex is spiritual, then guidance on how to engage in sex and benefit from sex has to come from a spiritual source. And that spiritual source is no more and no less than God Almighty Himself. God is the giver of sex, the author of sex, the originator of sex, and God gets to determine how sex best serves his divine will and our human good. God gave us marriage way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Genesis 2 and 25 says the two of them were naked and not ashamed. And, you know, I read that, I, I recite that, and I, I think about that, and it brings to mind that television show, Naked and Afraid, or, or whatever it is. It's about people who, who are living out in the wild, in the wilderness, with nothing on, no clothes or anything like that. And, and uh, uh, it, I just, it's just such a futile show. No redeeming value whatsoever. But the point I want to make is that they cover up the private parts of the man and the woman. Why? Because these days we're not supposed to be naked and unashamed. Because of sin, nakedness brings shame. And that's why we know good and well that we cannot broadcast everything about a man and a woman. But in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. Why? Because sin had not divided them from God. And Genesis goes on to say that Adam and Eve knew each other and they had children. Now that word knew, that's a Bible word that means they had sex. And they knew each other. 
and they had children. Wouldn't that be something? We, we reserve sex. We reserve sexual activity for people that we actually know and have decided that we want to be in a long-term eternal covenant. That's marriage. Want to be in this long-term eternal covenant with them. Wouldn't that be something? Adam and Eve knew each other and they had children. Now I told you already that God gets to decide how sex is to be used for his will and our human good. Well, we, we see it vividly expressed in Genesis also. Genesis tells us all about marriage, all about relationships, all about sex. Everything is established there in the beginning. Everything we need to know about it, the purpose, the design, how it works, everything we need to know about it is established right there in Genesis. And we see how it's used vividly in Genesis. God's will is for a man and woman to marry, build intimacy, have children, and bring pleasure to each other all through the means of sex. Wow, let me say that again. God's will is for a man and a woman to marry. A man and a woman to marry. And the two of them should build intimacy and have children and bring pleasure to each other. And God gave us the gift of sex to accomplish all of that. So again, sex is not the end of all. Sex is a means to an end. Remember what I said a couple of minutes ago? Too many people view sex as the end of all, the end game. Sex is not the end game. And I've said that a few times, so I hope you're getting that. Sex is not the end game. It's the goal of life and relationships. It's not the goal of life and relationships. Let me make sure you understand me there. I misspoke. Sex is not the end game. Sex is not the goal of life. Sex is not the goal of relationships. Sex is a means to achieve your goal. Sex is a means of helping us achieve a God-ordained purpose. And what might that you be, you ask? I'm glad you asked that question. The Bible actually spells out four purposes of sex for us. God gave us sex, number one, to procreate. We need to have babies to perpetuate the human race. And the way that we do that is through sex. And you can come up with all the test tubes you want to, artificial insemination and everything else. God gave us sex for procreation, to have babies, perpetuate the human race. Sex is the primary means of having babies and continuing the human race. Number two, God gave us sex for communication. Sex is a nonverbal means, a nonverbal way of saying, I love you, I give myself to you, I belong to you and to no one else. Wow. Sex is a nonverbal way of saying, I love you and I'm wholly committed to you. Number three, God gave us sex for release. Sex for release. And I want to make sure, I don't have time to deal with this, so I want to say this very quickly, and I want to make sure that it comes out right and you understand the context from, for which I'm saying it. Uh, sex between a husband and a wife is a great way to relieve stress, to relieve pressure, 
to relieve pain, to relieve disappointment, when the cares of this world are, are, are weighing you down, when the pressures of life, when things happen and weigh you down, sex is a gift from God to help us release that pressure, get relief from those pressures. And then last but not least, God gave us sex for recreation. <laughs> God gave us sex for recreation. That's right, you're supposed to enjoy it and have fun. It's supposed to rejuvenate you. Recreation, recreate you. When those same pressures have worn you down, have worn you out, how do you get rejuvenated? God gave us sex for that rejuvenation. Recreation. So again, God gave us four purposes of sex. Procreation, communication, recreation, and release. Listen, sex is to facilitate intimacy between a man and a woman. And I repeat what I said a few months ago. That intimacy is physical, emotional, and spiritual. Intimacy is about connecting deeply on a physical, emotional, and spiritual level. And the point of intimacy is for a woman and a man to get to know, accept, appreciate, and love each other on the deepest of levels. And sex is a critical part of that equation. Again, sex is not the end of all, but sex is a critical part of the equation of intimacy between a man and a woman. And this intimacy is what the Bible refers to in Genesis 2 when it lets us know that God put Adam to sleep, took a rib from the sleeping Adam and made a woman. The woman is all ready. The garden is all ready to receive her. Adam is all ready to receive her. And then God wakes Adam up, presents Eve to him. Adam looks at Eve when he woke up and knew immediately what her purpose was. And that's why Adam announced, Adam announced, you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That's intimacy. Adam knew immediately this is about intimacy. I've got to know her and she has to know me. And that's why God said of Adam before he presented Eve, it's not good for man to be alone. It's about intimacy. And then God amplifies it when he said that a man is supposed to leave his father and leave his mother and cleave to his wife. Leave his father, leave his mother, cleave to his wife. And they shall be one flesh. Again, it's all about intimacy. You don't become some sort of symbiotic relationship, some sort of Siamese twin relationship. You don't, you don't come join that way. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, one flesh, a husband and a wife being one flesh. It's all about intimacy. Man, woman, hear me when I tell you. Your marriage relationship takes precedence over every other relationship. And God gave us the gift of sex for us to exercise that 
and draw closer to one another, closer to one another, build intimacy so that nothing and nobody can come between a husband and a wife. So your marriage relationship takes precedence over every other relationship. Wife, your marriage relationship, your relationship with your husband takes precedence over your relationship with your children. Husband, your relationship with your wife takes precedence over your relationship with your mother. There's a way that you care for and love your mother when you're married, but your mother does not precede your wife in priority. That's the intimacy that God desires and expects for us. And sex helps it to happen. Sex helps it to happen. And because our sense of God and fellowship with God has been so warped by sin, our understanding of all things godly has been warped also, and that includes sex. Our understanding of sex has been warped. So we say things like, make love. I want to make love to you. Really? We cannot make love any more than we can make a universe. We cannot make what already exists all around us. We can't make what was in existence thousands and millions of years before we ever got here. Making love would be the equivalent of making God because God is love. <laughs> yes, yeah, sex is powerful. It's a powerful expression of love. Sex can definitely help us build intimacy and make love flow better. Make love flow easier. Make love more enjoyable. Make love more fulfilling. Sex can be a tremendous force in helping our love. But sex is not making love. Unfortunately, even in church, we've made sex a taboo subject. We're scared to mention it, scared to discuss it, scared to teach on it. All because our intimacy with God is lacking. So our intimacy at home in marriage is lacking and we bring that same lack of intimacy into the church. And because our intimacy with God is lacking, so is our intimacy with his truth. And his truth says he gave us sex for purpose. It's a gift from God. God gave us salvation, gave us the Holy Spirit, gave us union with Jesus Christ, gave us love, joy, peace, and God gave us sex. God gave us all of his gifts for our benefit. He gave us all of his gifts for our benefit. And God is not some cosmic being who sits in heaven frowning whenever we mention sex. Not by a long shot. God gave us the gift of sex. As a matter of fact, not only did God give us the gift, but he made it feel good so that we would keep on doing it. God made it feel good. It's a biological fact. He made it that way to help us continue to do it. Yes, yes, yes. Sex is spiritual and it's powerful. And the purpose of sex is to facilitate intimacy between a married man and woman. But naturally speaking now, beyond all of that, naturally speaking, it just feels good. And that's something to be celebrated, not avoided. 
It's as if God was saying, I want you to love each other. I want you to know each other. I want you to enjoy and find great delight in each other. And I'm giving you the gift of sex to help you out. If you ever doubt that God intends for sex to be a thing of pleasure, you should read the uh, Song of Solomon, a book in the Old Testament. Read Song of Solomon. Now, you may have to monitor your young children when you go there, but read the Song of Solomon. I remember when I was a young teenager, we used to refer to the manner in which we spoke romantically about girls or spoke romantically to girls. We call it our rap, man. What, what, your rap. You got a rap, man. You know, I'm rapping to this girl. Yeah. And I, that's what we said when I was a teenager. And I know that was two or three years ago, and I know nobody says it like that. But I'm trying to make a point here. That word isn't used anymore, but just indulge me, please. In Song of Solomon, King Solomon was doing some serious rapping. He had a rap out of this world. I think a few years ago, this is even old, but I think I heard somebody say Mac, something like that. You understand what I'm saying. In chapter 7 of Song of Solomon, God uses natural imagery to express a spiritual thought. But the natural imagery is so vivid you wonder what's really on God's mind. Watch this. In verse 9 of chapter 7, Song of Solomon, Solomon expects the roof of his woman's mouth to taste like fine wine. Question. How would you ever know what the roof of her mouth tastes like? When taste buds are on the tongue, how in the world are you going to know what the roof of her mouth tastes like? Listen. God is not some stiff, rigid prude when it comes to sex. Far from it. Far, far, far from it. God gave it to us to enjoy, but to enjoy within the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. Wow. It's amazing what you can find in the Bible on the subject of sex. And believe me, in the coming couple of weeks, next two or three weeks, I don't know how long we'll be in it, two or three more weeks or so, I'm going to talk a lot from the Bible about the issue of sex. We ought to have the confidence that this is God's gift to us. And because it's God's gift, we are responsible to enjoy it, use it for His glory, and benefit from it. Do yourself a favor and don't make sex unholy. Don't try to separate God from his gift of sex. We can't separate God from sex no more than we can separate God from salvation. All his gifts come with purpose and benefit. When God's gifts are used according to his will and his desire, we receive eternal and earthly benefit. You know, a lot of people are hung up on sex. Either they want it too much or some people choose not to be bothered with it at all. Some people are hurt by it because of various reasons. Some people are afraid of it because of what they've been taught. If any of these scenarios fit you or if you're just having some uptight experiences regarding sex, maybe it's time for you to ask yourself some serious questions about the issue. First of all, I'm not surprised at all if you're having some uptight experiences and you're not married. You can't enjoy God's gifts outside of God's will. If you're uptight about sex, ask yourself, deal with this, get with somebody, talk about it, ask yourself, do I see sex as a gift from God? 
Ask yourself, what could God ever hope to get out of me by giving me sex? Are you one of those people who believe that God frowns on sex? He's not interested in your sex life? What were you taught about sex growing up? Were you one of those who were taught you couldn't get pregnant if you had sex standing up? Were you one of those who, who your parents tried to put the fear of God in you by telling you you would get pregnant if you kissed a boy or kissed a girl? Do you get emotionally bogged down when the subject of sex comes up? Do you freeze up? What are some thoughts and beliefs about sex that are working for you? What is it about sex that's working for you? What are some thoughts and beliefs about sex that are not working for you? I'm going to deal with a lot of this in the next two to three weeks or so. I'm going to deal with the subject of sex. And, and I hope to address some of these things. I really hope to bring some clarity to your sexual experience, your sexual expectations. And as always, if you have any questions, please send them to me. But the thing that I want you to get today more than anything is sex is a gift from God. Sex is a gift from God. And when we use God's gifts according to God's will and God's desire, we benefit both in our earthly life and certainly in eternity. Sex is not the end of all. Sex is a means to an end. And the end that God expects of husbands and wives is to grow intimacy on a deep, deep level, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Grow in intimacy. And to help that to happen, to help ensure that happens, God gave sex to a man and a woman who will come together in the bonds of holy matrimony. Hey, look, I am out of time. I've enjoyed giving you, bringing and presenting to you this initial presentation on sex and marriage. We'll be back to it. Until then, if you got any questions, email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com or inbox me on Facebook, Bishop Carl Hodges. I'm so glad to be with you. We'll be back at the same time next week. Remember, if you want to hear this, Find it on iTunes or any podcast player. Just search for the C.D. Hodges. I got to go, got to get out of here. But remember, you can't have peace without surrendering your life to the Prince of Peace. God bless you. We're out.